This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right. See you later, mate. Okay. Right. See you. Sorry. Let's start. Um, people will drift in over the next couple of minutes, but I think it's important that we cover it. The next issue was ticket touting, which is more wrapped up in the, the safety advisory group. I mean, I don't know if people are aware that the council have a statutory meeting, host a statutory meeting twice a year of the council, the police, the fire brigade, the club, the clubs, the John's Ambulance, British Transport, everybody except the supporters. And they discuss issues relating to match day safety and sort of wider, wider issues. So Cliff and I two years ago started talking about this and we, we, we suggested to the club that it might be useful to have someone at that meeting. And the club, to no one's surprise, didn't think it was a good idea we had someone at that meeting. So we approached the, uh, the head of the safety advice group, a woman called Anne Ramage, who happens to be a, a football fan. She works for Kensington and Chelsea, but she is chair of the safety advisory group. So I had a meeting with her, with people from the Fulham Trust and, and, and QPR, and she agreed that we wouldn't be able to attend the meetings at this stage, but we would be able to submit, have a pre-meeting with them, submit questions that they would discuss at the meeting, and they would have a, a briefing afterwards. Because there's a whole load of stuff that they cover uh, in it's a 13 page. I won't read the detail out, but you can see there's a, there's a lot of information there, and in terms individual incidents at games, right through to sort of medical provision, statistics on arrests, all this sort of stuff. But a lot of it is about match day processes. And as a result, for the meeting in July, what we've agreed is that we will email all of the trust membership and say, what issues have you got from last season? What concerns have you got about the coming season? We'll collate them, and then we will sit down with the, the council people, and they will take those and discuss them at the meeting. Because... As, as, a, as an example, there was a before the meeting in January, I, I raised the point that 
for some games, there are coaches parked directly outside the shed, shed exit. The away, away coaches on the other side of the road. And it gets very, very, very tight there. It's not, not the way I normally leave, but a few people have mentioned it to me. And when we played Man City, Man United last season, there were, there were some problems. And the club had never raised this issue. It had never been raised at the safety advisory group. So the council, were, you know, they said, well, maybe it is useful to have supporters' input. So the point I'm making is what input we get... We will, we will take forward, and it, it, it will be discussed. What is interesting is, apart from Crystal Palace, whose safety advisory group is run differently, we're actually the first Premier League trust to have that meeting, to, to have that engagement, which, which can only be a good thing. I'd like to think, and I'm sure Cliff feels the same, that it won't be that long before we actually fall members of that meeting. No, um, but um, I think the club will, will continue to object to, to us yeah. going on there, to be honest. Um, it's ironic, really. The Met Police call us in fairly regularly for meetings with them. They're prepared to trust us with, with, with stuff that they do. Um, the council, obviously, are happy to, to, to engage with us on it, but the only people standing between us and getting a, a, getting on there full-time is the club. And they, and they say there's um, confidential grounds that, that they might be discussing confidential matters on there. Um, and that's the reason they don't want us on board. But I, I tend to think that... A lot of it is because they don't necessarily report incidents to the safety advisory group, like Tim has just mentioned, and like a friend over here said about today's game. You know, I mean, that's something that that should be brought up. Why are they allowing this sort of kickoff time uh, in, a, in a in a potential troublesome London derby? So the club, I think, tell them tend to tell them what they think they want to hear. They don't necessarily report any incidents. And so the, the, the problem is that if we went on there and started saying, well, we saw it kicking off against West Ham in the forecourt uh, 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 of yep. the main entrance yep. a few weeks ago. Which and it did. It yep. did, yeah, exactly. And it would be interesting to know if, if, if the club do make any announcement of that incident at, um, at the next SAG. So, you know, we'll be pushing. We've got a little foot in the door, so hopefully uh, in a year's time we'll yep. be fully in there, but... No, it would seem madness today to allow the Spurs fans out at the end of the game alongside the Chelsea fans. Well, the, the direct question was asked at the meeting last week, is there going to be a holding? And the implication was that there would not be, but who knows, who knows? If things are going right, they might have gone home by about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> or, and if, if they're going badly, they might be, the rest of the ground might be empty. Yeah. Well, there, there was... I mentioned that the Cardiff game was the biggest major incident over the last few years down here, obviously, and the, the Cardiff got the fans that we've spoken to since were absolutely amazed that they weren't held in for quarter an hour, 20 minutes after the game finished. And uh, if, the, if the police or the club had done that, then all the incidents that happened wouldn't have happened. So it seems fairly easy. All right, it's an inconvenience to people holding them in for 15 and 20 minutes or 20 minutes, but if it prevents public disorder, then why not? It happens, as, as many people here know, for European games, you know, and then you, you kind of factor that into your mindset. You're gonna, it's a pain it in the butt. Yeah, it doesn't happen here in European games. It only happens no, abroad. Yeah, it happens abroad. But yeah. Also, we can, issues that happen at away games can be reported there because... PC Paul Wright, who many of you would know as Goggles, is one of the attendees there. He, he does all the work. So if, if, if our members have issues at away games, we can raise them and they will go through the, the correct channels. Yeah. It may not be quick, but they, 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 they've sort of committed to that. Okay. Well, uh, you wouldn't want to catch all. No, 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 no. You just want, you'd want 
Yeah, but it's, it's the big stuff. But we won't yeah, raise. Course, not, yeah. We're not going to raise course, minor yeah. issues. It's only where there's a clear theme or something that appears yeah. to, to be of you know public order issue. I think. Um, right. The next item is covering the board elections, the AGM, and the survey. I'd like to ask Paul to talk about the first two, the elections and the uh, AGM. Yeah. So most of you will be familiar with this. Yeah. With the um, election process generally, it's. Um, hasn't changed over the last couple of years, so in summary the elections will be held on the weekend of the first game of the season, depending on, and it will be on the alternate day to when we're playing, so that will be the, either the 13th or the 14th of August, we suspect we're less likely to be on TV this year, so... <laughs> so we <Are you> playing less? It's <laughs> quite possible. Um, so, yeah, likely to be on the 14th of August, I would imagine. Um, in terms of election stuff we will release the nomination forms and they'll become available eight weeks beforehand so I don't know if that worked out as the week of the 18th of June and that will then be open for six weeks until the 29th of July when it closes and, that, and from that point on there's a two week kind of herder period basically um, ahead of the election uh, the same will also apply for any motions from the floor for the AGM there'll be a deadline of the 29th of July for that as well um, Obviously, encourage anyone who wants to stand for election to contact me or anyone else on the board for further information. And obviously, encourage anyone who thinks about it to do so. Um, so, there's no voting on either the election or the motions actually at the AGM. What will happen after afterwards is we'll launch a Survey Monkey account, similar to the survey we'll see this we'll talk about in a minute, which basically lists the election stuff and voting and all the motions. Um, that'll be open for two weeks, and after which the results will be out in the week commencing the 29th of August, I would imagine. Um, new board will then meet and then sort of finalise positions within the board. And um, just to flag earlier, there will be a new chair this year, as our um, rules dictate that you can only be a chair for three years. So, there will be. Moving on. Well, I'm still, st I'm still stand for the board, but I cannot stand, cannot, cannot be chair. So yeah, I mean, if there's any questions on that, I can take. Are you going to have an Obama-type sort of farewell speech? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I might struggle to carry that off. Going on past four, I can't even remember the names of the trust board. I'm going to struggle. Ronnie <laughs> Reagan farewell speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Celia, do you want to talk briefly about the annual survey? Thanks, Paul. Okay, okay. Um, so we will be sending out the annual survey, um, and hopefully that will go out before the end of the season. Um, we'll give you probably four weeks to complete it. There'll be this, generally the same questions as there have been previously, but we will be asking about moving to new to temporary stadiums. I think that's one of the key differences that. From, from last year um, to get your, your input on, on things that have been discussed earlier, really. Um, so, you know, how much time and money it's going to cost you to get there, whether you'd actually go, etc., etc. So, um, hopefully, we'll get the, the results compiled and a report created prior to the AGM on the second week of August. So, that will be available then. So um, I would encourage you all to to fill it out when it when it comes through. 
And the great thing is the club are actually interested in the results. Yes. And they do actually, we get full house people, they do go through it and, they, you know, it, it's, a, it's a foot in door for us, but also it gets, they are, we ask questions they don't ask. So the, the answers do have some, you know, they are valid and they are, they are taken into account. And they, they challenge some of the thinking behind it, but they can't challenge the figures because the figures are the figures. Yes, so, so the know. more people, we see, yeah. that fill it out, the better it, the better it is. Um, yeah. And yes, so they can't really challenge it. That's what our supporters are saying. Yeah. So you don't cost me anything. No. Well, I've got a free travel pass. <laughs> well, I thought I'd start in. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be others amongst us who'll be doing that in a year's time, but anyway. <laughs> right. Before we come to a Q, the Q and A with with Dan, we've got one other, one other issue, which is Cliff to talk briefly about the Brompton Cemetery uh, project, the the initiative we started. Yeah, this this has been something that's been kicking about for years now. We've hoping hoping to get involved over at Brompton Cemetery to help clear the graves, predominantly of the Chelsea related graves over there. Um, we actually got round to doing it. The first ever one was on Easter Saturday. Um, we had about a dozen, 15 people yep. turn up for it, and it, it was quite a rewarding couple of hours. There was a really, really badly overgrown grave uh, belonging to, um, I forget his surname, Alfred James, was Alfred James. He, yep. he was the owner of the um, Rising Sun when Chelsea were founded there, and he was consequently on the first board of directors of Chelsea Football Club, but his, his grave had been really, really badly overgrown over the years. And we managed to clear a really large area around it and, and people could access it now. Um, Chris Mears, who's, a, who's the grandson of, uh, or the son of Brian Mears, um, was with us and uh, he, he also allowed us to gain, uh, get access for our next uh, day over there to his, his forefather's graves, because Gus Mears' graves over there. It's in good order, it's a little bit tatty. We're going to sort of tidy that up the next time out. We're going to put some blue stones down in, in, in the, uh, the pit of the grave, if you like, and uh, generally tidy it up. But it was, it was a really, really rewarding couple of hours. I mean, it's only, say, two hours over there, but uh, we had one guy who was very keen, came down from Nuneaton to join us for the day, which was, which was nice. Um, we work in conjunction with the club. They provided us with some tools for the day, and various wheelbarrows and, and, and shears and what have you. And with Rick Lanville, who's, who's, who's recently identified um, an unmarked grave of a, of a Chelsea goalkeeper from the 1930s who became a bit of a stalwart for the club. He, uh, when he retired from playing, he came back as a, as a coach or a yep. physio, and he, he actually died in, um, in the Midlands somewhere and asked to be buried in Brompton Cemetery just so he could be near Chelsea Football Club. Um, he's, he's in an unmarked grave at the moment and uh, we, we're hoping to do some sort of crowdfunding over the next X amount of months and, and, and get a headstone for him over yeah. there. So it's, it's all good stuff and, and we hope to have another one maybe at the end of May uh, and, and another one in the summer sometime, which, which is obviously the prime time to get over there when stuff is growing and, and hopefully the weather's nice and then maybe another one in, in, in uh, the autumn sometime. But, you know, we'll publicise it and anyone who wants to come is more than welcome. It's, it's a... It's, it, there's a guy who comes with us from the Friends of Brompton Cemetery who's very knowledgeable about it all and he can tell you all the all, all fascinating tidbits about different graves over there. It might sound a bit morbid, but it's, it's, it's quite well, a fun couple amazing. of hours. One of the graves belonged to Kit Lambert, who was manager of the Who. Yeah. 
and Diane Edwards, who some of you know, used to know Kit Lambert in the 60s. So we had this sort of discussion on the who. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and a recent, a recent edition, Bobby Campbell's over there. Yep. So he was very nice. Thanks, Cliff. We've now got the, the remainder of the Q&A with Dan. We've already done the stadium and the, the CPO stuff. And we've had some questions in... Um, if I just read them and then you, you play them as, yeah. as you want, Dan. Right. As someone who goes to every Chelsea game and all the post-match press conferences, what is your take on the difficult season now drawing to a close? Is there one reason or a series of issues for the underachievement? In less than three hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my first book, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Where do you begin? Um, it just been... yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people about this, and everyone's got a different theory about this. A lot of these conversations, you know, both people who work at the club, you know, people uh, long trips back from places like Swansea and, and, and Newcastle on trains and stuff like that, and, and everyone's got a different theory. But you know, it just seems to be a perfect storm, doesn't it? There seem to be so many things that just little things that went wrong that added up to create one big thing, and one of the you know, I, I, certainly the summer seems to have been. I think there's an acceptance um, at a high level in the club that the summer was an absolute dog's breakfast. That, that there was some poor planning going into pre-season. Everyone turned up late. Players turned up out of form. That's something you can't necessarily control. Um, but um, I think there was also a difficulty that we saw sit being being close to what was going on. It was clear that. Mourinho didn't really know where to go when things got bad. It was something he'd never dealt with in his life before, um, and he found he, he found it very, very difficult. And I think the way maybe communication between him and the players went on from that point may have had an effect on where things ended up. Um, he certainly found it very, very difficult, and, and there we are now. I mean, it hasn't either been great since Gus has come back really has it because everyone expected Gus was going to hit the ground running but then to be fair to him and I've got a lot of time for Gus as I when you follow a big team like Chelsea one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK what can you do get updates from your mates follow online commentary listen to the radio let's face it it's not the same as actually watching the match live is it NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's matchday problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices – it's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. had a lot of time for Mourinho beforehand, but, but to be fair to him, he, was, he had to pick the club up from a far deeper place than he did when Scolari was kicked out far earlier in the campaign and with, with far less damage done. Um, 
So exactly, yeah, and 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 that's that's another thing, yeah. The, the, just the the um, the depletion of that team that's carried us through the last decade. Um, I think there's been a lot of very, very poor succession planning within the club, um, not just obviously managerially, but definitely on the pitch. Um, and I can't quite believe we're getting to the position now where John Terry is probably approaching his last three games, two games for Chelsea, and we still don't know who's going to be replacing him. No. But there we go. And do we know for sure that he is going? We don't know for sure that he's going. Um, I think it's highly likely that he is going. Um, the, what... What uh, I understand is that Conte came in and had uh, a series of chats with all the players just to, just before he was around the time he was announced. Um, my understanding is the conversation with JT was, despite having been having told everyone that it is the new manager's decision, um, that JT heard, "Well, it's out of my hands." Um, so yeah, well, there we are. Okay, and sorry, Ian. Just relating to you mentioned um, about Jose a little bit about Gus as well. There's not a lot, of, a lot of love lost, as you know, um, down on social media with respect to M and R. Now, I'm wondering if you have any particular <laughs> access to him. Whether you would be of the view that he is the, the individual who will be uh, perhaps trying to get it right this summer in terms of you know the signings and getting things in place. Do, do you get the impression that he is um, is right at the heart of things too? Um, he he's technical director. He's um, as far as I, I hear, has got an awful lot of. Um, uh, he certainly has a vision for where he thinks the club's going. Um, the, dif- the difficulty, not necessarily of the man, but of the role, is that, that there's only one person that runs Chelsea, isn't there? And you know, no matter what job you do, he's the man you've got to answer to. And, and the understanding from, from the many managers they've been and the many different directions they've been within the club is that his decisions change with the wind, you know. Um, and I, I have no doubt at all that Roman is 100% behind Chelsea. He's passionate about this club, and he wouldn't have spent the money he had if he wasn't. He loves and adores football. People I've spoken to about him um, say that, that, that if you go to his house, there's a TV on in every room, always playing football. Not just Chelsea, but he just adores football, and he adores Chelsea. But he does change his mind with frequent... Uh, uh, questions. That's not yeah, easy being advised by the right, you know, the appropriate first-class, top-class people. Uh, the, the he's being advised by the people he wants to be advised by. I think is the answer. I think I think it highlights the fact that, that, that he's actually he's a fan. If he sort of, if he changes his mind week by week, I mean, that's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> so you're grown up. And I mean, related to that question is: Are you optimistic about next season from a footballing perspective? Crikey! I don't. Are, are we? Are we optimistic about next season? I think we won the league already. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at heart a Chelsea supporter who started going in the '80s, so I, I'm fairly pessimistic about everything. Yeah. Um, so you know, I never expected any of the, the things that we ever won to, to be won. Um, but you know, Conte seems like a good guy. He certainly knows what he's doing. Um, the difficulty, of course, is he's never been in the Premier League before, and he's been out of club management for two, three years. Um, but um, he will come in and he will rule that dressing room with a rod of iron. It would appear. The stories from people like Perlo and other people who play for him in Italy say that he's not a man to be messed with, but that he carries everyone, absolutely everyone, along with him. I think we need to accept that, though. That he's going to run but rather than bleating to Emin Arlo, yeah, 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 yeah. And if he's the guy who's going to come, well, I think we need that iron rod. You know, yeah. Gus is coming; yeah. he's too you know, friendly, happy, chatty, and all this kind of stuff. We need to know just seriously kick ass. Mm. 
and if you know if, if Hazard doesn't like that. Sorry. Yeah, but the, the, the conversion to the two last questions, you know, he, we've got a guy here who likes to be in charge and likes to know he's in charge, but he's never ever going to be in charge of buying and selling players because that is somebody else's job within the club. Um, and no matter who we put, who, che- who Chelsea put into that position, that I understand is going to be the case. But that's, but that's the view in Italy anyway. Yeah, that's the whole yeah. model of Italy, in Italy that, that's, all, that all, that's all he knows. I mean, the issue about him continuing in Italy is about that he was, he was regarded. But Mourinho's, Mourinho's not particularly, particularly loved in Italy, um, even for his time at Inter Milan. And I think he was saying that, that Mourinho's regarded as quite conservative compared to Conte's management style. So I don't know how some of the um, difficult players who didn't necessarily expect to be, or didn't necessarily regard themselves as being professional footballers, but even if the guy is strong, it's the leadership on the pitch. Which I'm sounding like an old record here, but yeah. Yeah. And I know we're all saying it. Where's that going to come from? And that's the major concern to me. Yeah. I think um, I don't know how anyone else feels, but I think it's uh, it's been sort of quite welcome this season. In, in that it's, um, in that it's <laughs> 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 it reinforced our bond with the Chelsea that we first knew when we yeah. started supporting them. And I think that's been reflected in the attitude in, in the stadium. I mean, even after that ridiculous performance against Man City when half the team were, weren't even bothered to jog, let alone run, yep. they were not booed off the field. So, I mean, that's that's the I don't think we'd hear that other clubs in a, in a similar, similar situation. And I, think, and, I think to, and I think it's really fitting that in a year that we've really messed up, that Leicester are on the verge of winning the title, and that we are actually in a position to, to win the league for a second year, yeah. albeit for someone else. And then, and then finally, to brush Leicester uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and thereby taking the title of moral champions. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck arguing that one over the summer. <laughs> okay, the, the next one is more about your experiences with the, the, the last few managers, what, what they've been like at press conferences. Have they all okay. been the same or some easier to deal with than others? Um, the first, I started report, reporting on the club uh, 12 years ago. Um, so the first manager I dealt with as a journalist was Ranieri, um, who was everything you're seeing now. You know, just a, a, a lovely... Um, very emotional man um, who was completely batty and would say ridiculous things sometimes but was just so completely lovable um, uh, then who was next? Well, <laughs> I, I lose count <laughs> Mourinho Scolari you know, pick, pick highlights if you like there's too many to yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe I think the, the thing that unites them all is that when things are going well they're fantastic to deal with and when's on, when things aren't going well they're absolutely awful to deal with so I don't remember too many good times with AVB um, <laughs> <laughs> or Scolari who? or Scolari barely spoke the language so you know um, AVB is the only one I properly fell out with, to be honest. Um, who up at West Brom, which seems the uh, it was quite tolerated each other for quite a long time. But his last game up at West Brom, yeah. where the away end was seeing getting sacked in the morning, yeah. and I put this to him, and he said, "No, no, no, they weren't. They weren't. No, well, actually, they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were. And what's more, I've got lots like, sort of text messages from three people who are in there who are belting him out and yeah. belting it out themselves. Yeah. And he just stormed off. Oh, prove what you like. <laughs> okay, I will." <laughs> 
And he went the following day? Uh, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Um, so I actually asked Tim the last question that anybody asked him. <laughs> just in that Other than, can you clear your desk? Um, uh, some, some, I mean, it, it, would be, it would be very disappointing if you'd hear the Rafa, um, at least until a point where it became unworkable, was a very, very nice man and very good to deal with. Um, but then Rafa's a PR man, and you know, he, he'd like to create, he, he wanted to create a good impression. He was clearly putting himself in the shop window to try and get what he considered to be a better job, or indeed the permanent job. Um, so you mean he was really an utter bastard, he was just pretending to be? <laughs> well, like, to you be may honest, say that. Mate, yeah. I've heard reports from behind the scenes at Chelsea that he's been the most polite, well-mannered yeah. manager that they've had in the last 10 or 20 years. He's been very, very nice fellow. That sounds with. really sneaky to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did a bloody good right. job. What about Di Matteo? Di Matteo, Di Matteo was lovely because um, as a fan, dealing with Di Matteo was wonderful because he was one of my heroes when he was a player. And you know, I remember one occasion, it was before the semi-final at Wembley against Tottenham. Um, how did that game finish again? <laughs> and uh, it was the, the, the match at um, Cobham, uh, the, the press conference at Cobham the day before. And I asked him about the goal he scored in the 6-1 against Tottenham, yep. which was, if you remember, like a 30-yard pile driver. And he goes, yeah, I remember it because it was my left foot. <laughs> and uh, as he came out, we had a little chat, and um, I, I got this up on YouTube, and I showed it to him, and he goes... Told you he was left foot, and he, he got all sort of slightly dewy eyed, misty eyed about it. Um, so yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, miss him a lot. Actually. Yeah, I bet. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because they're not all the same. Ancelotti, the other one, I guess. Anc- Ancelotti is um, the one a lot of journalists will say was their favourite because um, uh, you know he he was just a geezer basically um, and uh, he would you know it, when when he got off the record and stuff like that he'll, he'd tell dirty and completely unprincipled jokes uh, uh, you know it was you know he'd love a glass of red wine when we won the league uh, with him you know he, he was given a glass of the Chelsea Chateau Neuf to Chelsea whatever it was and so because he's well known for liking a glass of wine and uh, he was asked what's it like and he said it's shit <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, great, right, and then final one of the Chelsea teams, players, and matches you've ever seen. What are your favourites and why? Uh, although it was impossible to watch at the time, uh, and I'm sure everybody will agree with this, Munich is obviously very, very high on that list. But but when you all went down the pub and got slaughtered afterwards, um, I had to go into the mid zone, which wasn't in any way an imposition that night, because normally after a European game, you're lucky if you can grab one or two words from some guys and if we lose you won't get a word from any of them um, which is unfortunate because it shows them out to be a slightly pampered and tetchy group but that night everyone was stopping absolutely everybody wanted to stop um, and I was at the time I was doing some shifts on the South London press um, and we got uh, I went off before the weekend uh, and we had nothing to put on the front page and uh, when I got back on the Monday morning, I walked into the office and I spoke to the editor. And I said, well, I've got this story about a lad from South London who won the European Cup. And it was um, Bertrand who just said everything, again, just with that glint in his eye and that look of glee on his face about how he grew up in Peckham. He kicked the ball against the sign that said, don't play ball games here. And how proud he was. And, you know, his brothers would be proud of him. And it was the only time the South London press has ever had Chelsea on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they a little 
Millwall paper. They're a Millwall paper, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. Well, bizarre, isn't it? Okay, and any other sort of teams or um, players or anything? Player Lampard for me, um, the, probably, I mean, aside from Munich, the, my very, very best moment was interviewing Lampard after he, he got the record up at Villa. Um, and just another brilliant moment where he just talked with such enthusiasm and real heart. And, you know, I mean, players say, do this, I love this club thing very easily, don't they? Yeah. And, but Lampard really yeah. did and yeah. does. Some of the current lot say it, but whether they mean it, Ian. Um, can I ask you? I, I'm always quite interested in what the press writes about our club, you know, beyond just the reporting of games and scores and all the rest of it. And what I was wondering was, in terms of the way the press are dealt with at Stamford Bridge and the experience of being a journalist at Stamford Bridge, um, th- does that help foster a sort of you know a positive view? Just in terms of even some of the practicalities, you know, the Wi-Fi, yep. what the desk is like, the video screens, and all the rest. The of best food, the best food in the Premier League, yeah. best food by a long way in the Premier League. Yeah. And Man City always win that crown. I don't know whether I think they, they have a guy who stands at the door and shoves the voting forms into journalists' hands at Man City and Chelsea don't do that so much. But yeah, it does. I think I it does. The question would be as well, given that you know this board has has good access to the Chelsea board as well. Is there anything that you know we could perhaps be bringing to the Chelsea board to say, look, you know, to make it even better? Why don't you think about this, or why don't you do that for? I mean, I, I've heard about maybe, maybe not so much journalists, but you know, photographers slightly at the back of the queue in terms of whether it's the buffet or you know the best okay. views and so on. But I, I just don't know if you have anything. Or I, other clubs have a sort of best practice. I just think a, a, a general. I mean, a lot of people will look at it and they'll see a piece of newspaper that is, to, by their perception, neg- negative towards Chelsea. And the, 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 the standard response that people have is, oh, just burn, ban the lot of them, ban the lot of them. They'll write lies, get rid of them all. Um, and, you know, people have tried that. Bates tried that. And all it created was more and more antagonism towards the club. Um, you, you need to have a positive relationship with journalists. And, and Chelsea is very good at doing that these days, I think. Certainly, um, the, the current media regime, you all know Steve Atkins, um, is, is very fair to deal with, maybe not always give me the answer that I want, but then he's very professional. Certainly better than people we've had in the past who shall remain nameless, who once phoned me up in the middle of my Christmas lunch to call me a four-letter word. But yeah, but very, very positive, I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, right, um, Paul, how are we doing for time? We've got if anyone, yeah. okay. if anyone's got any other questions for Dan while we're here, those were the ones yeah, that were submitted. Dan tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're off to the bookies after this, are you? <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a lot of the Williams song tonight, isn't it? And there's there's going to be um, Champions of England. You'll never sing that quite a lot as well. You lost the league at Stamford Bridge. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Lovely. Any any other questions for Dan before we? Uh, Wrap up. Is Alan Brazil actually still alive? <laughs> 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 Every five minutes, he just looks like he's about to keel over. <laughs> I'm not sure I can answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that really one hanging important. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If that's if there's no more questions, then thank you all for thanks everyone for coming. Thank you, Dan. We will. The audio, such as it is, will be up hopefully in a few days. Debbie's done some, can do some brief notes, which will be circulated. Um, if anything, if anything big happens over the summer, we will do a, a VGM sort of 
rather than a physical meeting, we'll do a VGM over the summer, but we'll keep people posted. But as Paul said, the, the, the next big meeting for us is the AGM on the 13th or 14th of August. But thank you all for coming. Enjoy tonight. And here's to Leicester City. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay.